Hi, this is Matthew, your host on Voices of Texas. I hope you like my website over at VoicesOfTexas.com. And for my website hosting, I use DreamHost.com. DreamHost was voted Best Web Hosting Service by PCMag for the second straight year. This is just one of the reasons I choose DreamHost for my web hosting. Because you listen to Voices of Texas, you can get a great discount off your first year of hosting. Just go to DreamHost.com and at checkout use promo code VOTX to get $67 off hosting. That's more than half off your first year. One more time, that's promo code VOTX at checkout with DreamHost.com. Now, on to the show. This is Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. Recording from Brownwood, in the heart of Texas, here's your host, Matthew Hinman. Welcome back to another great episode of Voices of Texas. Each week, I bring you real Texans with real stories. And this week, we are talking all about Texas wines. For a long time, the only recognized wines in the U.S. were California wines. In recent years, however, that has changed dramatically. Texas wines are now consistently sought after by connoisseurs all over the world, and they are coming into their own right as a top choice of wine lovers everywhere. Well, to help us appreciate all the greatness of Texas wines, I've invited Jeff Cope to the show. Jeff is a blogger, enophile, and host of the Texas Wine Lovers podcast at TXWineLover.com. Jeff, welcome to Voices of Texas. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Well, what really makes Texas wine so special? Well, over the years, I mean, obviously at the beginning, the quality wasn't there, just like California wasn't, uh, you know, 30 years ago. But uh, over the time, that quality has improved, and the key is that they've just gotten better. And the wines that we grow here in Texas are unfortunately a little different than most people recognize, like the, the Chardonnays, the Cabernets, the Merlots. Yeah, we do have some in here in Texas, but they're not primarily the best ones. If you want a good Chardonnay, go to California. But if you want some other good wines, uh, we primarily grow grapes and wines here best that are uh, equivalent to, like, say, uh, Spain, uh, France, the Southern Rhone region. And so you're going to get names like Mavedra, Grenache, Tempranillo, Montepulciano, uh, Vermentino, Roussan, Trebbiano. And so they may not be recognizable to consumers, but once they actually try it, they'll go, wow, this is a pretty good wine. Okay. So, yeah, that definitely makes uh, Texas wines a little different than anybody else. Absolutely. So how does the public then differentiate between these different wines? I mean, regionally, there, I would think there would be different kinds of wines, even within the state of Texas. Oh, absolutely. Um, the best way to differentiate is visit a winery. Uh, we have uh, approximately 30, 300 Texas wineries and that are producing wine. They actually have more. They have like winery permits that aren't producing wine. But the best way definitely is to visit a Texas winery. Hmm. Um, we have them all over the state. Uh, Obviously, the Texas Hill Country area is the number two wine destination, actually, in the United States, uh, Ooh, other than that. Napa. 
Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where primarily the focus of most wineries is, is actually down in the Texas Hill Country. So, yeah, t- take some time, visit some wineries, and you're going to definitely find some wines you like. So what would be involved in wine tasting? I'm sure that, that you travel around clearly just from reading your blog and, and different things that uh, you do, the podcast. What's involved in tasting these wines and, and understanding the differences between them? I mean, because for me, I just enjoy wine. I go to the store and I, I buy a bottle and I, I drink it and determine if it tastes good or not. And if I buy it again, I couldn't tell you the, the nuances behind it. Right, right. Well, definitely the, the best way to taste is to go visit a winery, like I mentioned. And when you visit a winery, they'll have some kind of tasting format uh, preferred by them. And you'll also have a tasting guide that'll walk you through the tasting usually. So for a certain fee, you, you might be able to taste like five to six wines. And usually it starts from uh, dry whites to reds and then maybe sweet white wines, if that's what you prefer. But that's definitely the best way to uh, taste wines because then you can figure out exactly what style of wine you might like. What If you like that particular winery, you might want to buy a bottle of wine from them. Um, now, you mentioned Hill Country wineries, and it seems like where I live in, in central Texas, there are quite a few nearby. Are there any in particular in the Hill Country that would be really good choices for people to go visit for their first winery experience? Oh, well, the primary destination in the Hill Country is obviously U.S. Highway 290, and that's primarily between Johnson City and Fredericksburg. Oh, okay. And between that area, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head how many wineries are there's that many, but they're all, for the most part, very good wineries, and they're all kind of unique too in what they offer. So if, if the best thing you can do is spend, you know, a few days, maybe a three day weekend, two day weekend, if you can only afford two days and just hit three or four wineries a day and you, you're going to definitely find some wines you like. Well, what are some of the more interesting wineries that you've had the privilege of visiting in the state? Well, that's kind of a tough question because I've, I've visited over 250 Texas wineries now. Uh, from all parts of the state. Uh, but we were just talking about the Hill Country. Let's, let's start there then. In uh, Stonewall, we have uh, Coleman Cellars. One, one thing that's kind of unique about their tasting is their tasting fee includes a food pairing with it. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so they have like five wines, and they have a, a little piece of food that goes pairs with it well. And it's like it's a private tasting too so it's not like this huge crowd that's standing at a tasting bar so you get you get some education along with it from the tasting guide and it's a very good experience um see also oh well right by there actually william chris vineyards that's in high uh, they started a number of years ago in a small tasting room that was built in a small house and now they've had to expand to a bigger tasting room uh, more production buildings, and but their wine club grew so much that they actually had to stop taking on new members. Uh, p- people can still be put on the waiting list, but the one key thing about them is they are always, they now and always will be 100% Texas wine. And if you ever go to the pickup parties, they always got like rock music, you know, 
playing away, and it, it's just a fun atmosphere. Um, let's see, Pernell Cellars actually in Stonewall. They're known for their uh, Tempranillo and their Viognier. And, and in fact, a couple years ago, their Viognier won a grand gold in Lyon, France. And France is known for their Viognier. So having a Texas winery go over there with their Viognier and come away with the grand gold was pretty uh, instrumental to showing, hey, Texas wines, we can actually make some wine here now. Um, let's see, other unique wineries. Keepersall is up in uh, Tyler, East Texas. They're one of the few estate wineries that uh, are in the state. And a state winery means that they have a vineyard there that they get their grapes from and that they make all their wines from. Uh, last year, actually, they opened a distillery next door and they serve vodka, uh, bourbon, and rum. And you can visit the distillery and then they're divided just a little ways apart. You can just simply walk over to the wine tasting room and enjoy the wine there. And it's a beautiful property that has a bed and breakfast, a restaurant, and so much more. Um, but that's, that's just a few samplings of uh, some of the wineries that are kind of unique in Texas that just shows, make, make, make a road trip on a weekend and you're going to find uh, a winery that you enjoy and you're going to have a good time. So for the uneducated like me, uh, I pretty much choose a wine and decide what I want to have it with, what I wanna, kind of food I want to pair it with. And I know there are a lot of general rules out there about how you're supposed to have white wine with, with seafood and red wine with, with beef and, and things like that. But is it that critical to the palate or is, is it strictly an individual choice? Personally, I think it's just an individual choice. Um, I've heard some people say if you want to drink white wine with steak, by all means, go ahead and do that. Um, you know, obviously, if you get the correct wine with the correct food, it's going to make both of them taste better and drink better. Um, in my experience, I mean, I'm not like a total connoisseur as far as food pairings and stuff goes, but I have had a few pairings that, yeah, this really does make a difference. And others... I'll drink what I want. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my wife continues to tell me that I'm a wine snob because I won't buy any wines with a screw top. And <laughs> uh, well, I, that, yeah. I, I, I think that kind of goes without saying, though, that typically, you know, your corked wines are going to be a little bit higher quality, although not necessarily always the case because you can get some pretty junky wines out there uh, with a cork in them. Yeah, I don't. Screw tops actually are becoming more and more popular. Are they? And and that's primarily because a lot of wines these days are made. You buy it at the store, and you're sort of expected to bring it home and drink. So you don't. The corks are great for when you want to lay down a wine and have it age a while. But for those ones that you want to drink, I mean, corks are fine. Or I mean, the screw tops are fine, and. So that's why a lot of wines, you know, these days are made to be consumed within three to four years, and there's nothing wrong with screw tops. Unfortunately, the public's starting to realize, yeah, there's nothing wrong with screw tops, and actually, it makes a lot opening the bottle a lot easier. <laughs> you don't you don't have to have a corkscrew, do you? Exactly. 
Well, I was thinking too about uh, my experiences in drinking wine over the years, and I've always been told, uh, and I finally found out some did some research on it, and maybe you can help clarify this a little bit. Was about the temperature as to which you serve a red and which you serve a white, and the general consensus was that a red was to be served at quote room temperature. However, room temperature in Texas is <laughs> is pretty warm. Uh, you know, and, and the average the average home is probably between seventy five and eighty degrees. And me personally, I don't like my red wine at that temperature. But I found some research on where that came from, and that is that evidently, when you know, centuries ago, when wines were produced in uh, these these dank cellars and castles and things like that. Room temperature was actually about 55 degrees. Where, what do you say about that, about uh, the temperature at which wine should be served? Oh, you're absolutely correct with what you researched. Uh, we, we used to store our wines and wine racks like you buy at any kind of store. And, and kind of a funny story, but we had like a six liter bottle of wine one of those big, huge bottles. And like you said, our house isn't kept, you know, 60 degrees. I mean, I don't think anything in Texas is kept that, unless you're actually in a winery. But we came out one morning and this big bottle, we, the cork was like halfway out the bottle. Oh, my. And it was like, oh, it's unfortunately, you know, my fiance caught it in time. And... We, you know, got it in the fridge as quickly as possible, but I couldn't imagine if that had exploded and the wine would have been everywhere to clean up. But yeah, you're, you're correct as far as your temperatures go. And so that point there, that taught us, and that's why we actually have four wine coolers in the house right now. Ah. And actually, we, we rent some wine storage also because we just, I guess we just buy too much wine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can have too much wine. Uh, my sister always says that uh, wine is a grocery and uh, not a luxury. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. So, and I, I keep a little around too, but I always throw my reds in the fridge before serving. Uh, the whites clearly get a very cold chill. You know, I, I put them in the back of the fridge and let them get nice and cold. But my reds, I, I like them chilled slightly before before serving. I uh, had the misfortune of going into a restaurant at one time and, and ordering a, a glass of Merlot. And when I received it, I swear it had been heated. I, I don't know if they kept the bottle on top of the fridge where it was really hot, but I've never had a hot red wine before. And they insisted that was the proper way to serve. And of course I just rejected it. I w wasn't about to, to consume it. So, yeah. well now around the house, you know, for one of the things we do is uh, we keep wine glasses for, for consumption of wine. Although some people in Texas might be just as happy with a Mason jar, <laughs> but a red solo cup, a red solo cup <laughs> out of a box, <laughs> wine out of a box. But when it comes to your glasses, uh, I read an interesting uh, blog post that you wrote recently on, uh, on TXWineLover.com, and that was about how to wash and dry wine glasses. Kind of help our listener appreciate uh, why that's so important. Oh, well, I mean, the, the first primary reason is if you pick up a wine glass anywhere and you look at it and it's got spots all over it, I mean, is that going to be really... Yeah, I want to drink out of this. No, it's not going to be. You you want a nice clean wine glass. 
And so the, the next challenge is actually trying to get that clean wine glass without a lot of hassle. So uh, unfortunately, I got stuck with the job of uh, <laughs> washing and cleaning glasses in our house. And so I, and I'm the one that I want to do things the easy way. So I, after a lot of trials and experiments, I think I came up with my easy way at least, and hopefully it helps other people. And like you said, I wrote about it in the past week. So uh, hopefully some of my experiences might be able to help somebody else uh, make their job of having a nice clean wine glass. Cause you don't want a lot of perfume, smelly aromatics out of a wine glass either. Cause, because that's going to detract from the actual wine you're tasting. So with all those things in factor, you want to be able to enjoy your wine drinking experience. Well, let's talk about your show, your podcast uh, that you do. And obviously writing for the blog and, and doing the podcast requires a little bit of effort on your part. Uh, how does, how do the two go hand in hand with what you do for, for wine lovers in Texas? Well, uh, so the primary part of the website is actually writing and reading content. Uh, last year, we decided to do a podcast. Um, I have a, uh, a team now of you know, like three primary members, and then we have five uh, contributing writers that participate in writing content for the, the website. And, but last year, we started the podcast to try to add a little something extra to it. Because with the traveling of visiting wineries, and actually one of our primary team members is a tasting guide at a winery, he gets to see a lot of people and gets to visit a lot of people. So we said, well, let's just add to uh, the experience of just reading, and you could subscribe to the podcast. And we decided we're going to keep a little short podcast, 10, 15 minutes maybe at the most. And let's talk to some of the winemakers, growers, um, actually uh, people that support the wine industry, like uh, credit companies that might uh, help out a vineyard or a winery. Uh, so we, we most likely have, a, well, it's mostly a non-scheduled podcast. So it's not like every week or something like that. And it's primarily because it's whenever we can get out to somebody and make an appointment to talk to them and hopefully provide a little insight to the people behind the wine that you may be drinking and enjoying. Well, that's good for the public education. I know uh, for me, I've been educated a little bit by it and because I'm just your average Joe uh, drinking wine. So now uh, you mentioned uh, in our conversations previously that uh, you had achieved a, a level of uh, sommelier. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, there's many different types of certifications you can get in wine. Uh, one of the most popular probably is the Court of Master Sommeliers. And if, if you ever get a chance to watch the movie Somm, that's S-O-M-M, and you'll see in the Court of Master Sommeliers, there's four different levels, and the top level is the Master Sommelier, and that's what's featured and documented in the movie Psalm. Um, I'm only a level one, and I don't know if at the moment I go on to the level two, but uh, it's just different wine education. You, you mentioned education before, and it's learning about wine from around the world, 
and sommeliers and this uh, like in this particular certification is also in how to like serve uh, the customer correctly, answer any questions they may have, and make sure that their experience at the restaurant is ideal with offering what wines they are having with uh, the food that they're ordering. Very good, very good. Well, the the podcast is over at txwinelover.com, and that of course is the website where the blog is, uh, how can people follow you on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook? What are the, what is your Twitter handle there? They should follow. Well, you mentioned the podcast. We're all, we're on iTunes and we're on Stitcher. So you can go there directly. You don't have to go to the website, even though you're going to get pictures and stuff on the website for the podcast. And then you're going to get a lot more content. We have at the website, we have, uh, probably the most up-to-date map of Texas wineries and where they're located and information about each of them, uh, wine reviews and stuff like that. Other social media is Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash TXWineLover. Twitter, where TXWineLover is the account. And we're going to be soon expanding in more into Instagram. And we actually, well, actually we have a a Pinterest account too, but you can find all those links to the social media on the website. Fantastic. Well, I know I've been educated by our little visit today, learn more about Texas wines and about wine in general. And I think, uh, I personally think the Texas wines are some of the best out there and I, I enjoy picking them up at the, at the local grocer. Well, I do too. <laughs> all right. Very and, good. In addition to the wineries too. So, Jeff, thanks for joining me on the show this week. I appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I would also like to thank you, my listener, for downloading the show each week. One of the best things you can do to support Voices of Texas is to share. That's right. Share it. Twitter, Facebook, in person, whatever. Tell your friends about Voices of Texas and how they can listen to this podcast. The other way is by your contributions. And you can go to patreon.com slash Voices of Texas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Voices of Texas. And please contribute as little as a dollar a month. All contribution levels have a reward of some kind attached to them. So I promise to pay you back for that contribution in some way. And please, any support is greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening and check back next week for another great Texas story here on Voices of Texas. Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer.